Bitcoin grows more anti-fragile with these sort of events where you're going to lose influence pretty fast and pretty soon the market doesn't care what they have to say. Hello there from Los Angeles. How are you all doing? I am just here in La La Land. Just for one day, I came in to interview Eric Weinstein. I was joined by my friend Travis Kling. That's going to be out next week. But I'm just here for one day. Tomorrow I fly back the other way because I'm heading off to the Indy 500. Hopefully the Bitcoin car is going to go and win that race. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today we are back with our monthly interview with my good friend, Dan Held. And today we're getting into what happened over the last week with Elon Musk, Michael Saylor, and the miners, and their behind closed doors meeting, and what this means for Bitcoin. And please note, I do go into a little bit of a rant in this one. I'm sorry, I get a little bit sweary. Maybe my language is not preferable but I just had to let rip on some thoughts that I had. Okay, before we get into the interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors, and we're going to kick off today with Casa, the very best in Bitcoin security. Now, if you are sat on a decent stack, despite the drops, if you've been making good gains this year and you aren't custodying it yourself, or you have it all on a single hardware wallet, it is probably time for you to consider Casa. And I know what you are thinking, do I really need this? Isn't it going to be a pain to set up? Maybe you were thinking, what the hell is a multi-sig wallet, Pete? I've got no idea what this means. I know I had all the same questions, but honestly, it could not be easier to set up and you get so much peace of mind when you have. Now, with a multi-sig wallet, you can custody your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you can distribute into multiple locations, which is going to protect you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities. And if you want to ask me any questions about this, you want to reach out to me and say, you know, I'm interested in Casa, but I've got questions, Pete, then you can hit me up on my email or reach out to me on Twitter. Now, there is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And next up, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin and I spoke to the team today. I spoke all about the competition that we are going to be launching in Miami at Bitcoin 2021. Yes, they are giving away a Lambo, but we have an extra added item, which I cannot wait to tell you about. It's very soon because every one of you, whatever Bitcoin you are, you're going to love this competition and you're going to want to enter. Now, with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, motorsports, American sports, they even have eSports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And let's talk about Exodus Wallet, the only wallet I am using for mobile and desktop Bitcoin. Now, someone got in touch with me recently. They're like, Pete, you keep going on about Exodus Wallet, but what actually are you using for? Now, my accountant... She was always saying to me, Pete, I don't know what these transactions are. I don't know who they're for, what they're about, what the hell is it? Well, I up my game. My accountant now loves me. See, when Exodus reached out to me and they're like, Pete, we want to sponsor you. We want you to use our wallet. I went straight into the features. I found the advanced feature and I could add notes. I could keep a record of all my transactions are, what they are, who they're from, what they're doing. And now at the end of each month, I can turn around to my accountant and go, here you are. You can no longer yell at me. Now, if you want to check it out, if you want to find out more about Exodus, just head over to exodus.com 
or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Okay, so on to the show. And as I told you, we've got my buddy Dan back on and we've got a big, juicy topic to get into today. Now, almost four years to the day after the New York agreement, we have another behind closed doors meeting, this time with Elon Musk, Michael Saylor and the miners. Meetings like this that can decide the fate of aspects of Bitcoin are certainly not something that some Bitcoiners like. Not all of them. There are some people who said this is okay, and there are others who've reacted and said, no, I'm not having it. Because the belief is to keep Bitcoin decentralized, it is about consensus across the entire network. And I know this meeting had some people worried. Now, on the face of it, I don't think this meeting is anywhere near as nefarious as a New York agreement. And I truly believe the sailor thought he was doing the best thing doing right by all Bitcoiners, by trying to set the narrative straight. But at the same time, I myself have been thinking, are we bending the knee? Are we just trying to appease one billionaire? It's obviously a hugely complex topic. Lots of people have different opinions, but I wanted to get into this. And when Dan was coming on, we had different plans, but I was like, no, Dan, I need to talk about this. And I know he wanted to as well. As I said, I get a little bit ranty in this. I go off on one, and I'm sorry, and if it's a little bit sweary, I'm very sorry. I don't know. I just got wound up by some of this shit this week. So anyway, listen, I hope you enjoy it. If you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, and you can also jump into my Telegram group. All right, I hope you enjoy the interview, and I look forward to hearing from you. Dan, mate, what a fucking week. <laughs> it's been uh, I've been in Bitcoin nine, nine years now, and this was by far one of the most. Uh, you know, I, I keep thinking that it's going to cool down at some point, but no, Bitcoin is always full of drama and prices dropping over fifty percent, and a lot of drama with mining. It was it was nuts, dude. Uh, I didn't see a fifty. Well, fifty one percent, I think, was uh, the biggest on one exchange. I did not see that come in. It's funny actually because I'm. Uh, I'm in it less time than you. I'm I'm in it four years. So I've done a cycle. So it's easier this time, right? Whereas like my first cycle, I was like, shit, I better sell. Everything's going to die. And then, uh, but this one, I kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'll put up with it. But it's just, there's a lot of weird stuff going on at the moment. I'm, I'm, by the way, we were meant to talk about something else. I don't have any agenda today. I've got no written questions. I just want to shoot the shit with you. Let's do it, man. So let's talk about the Mining Council. Um, I was on a... Twitter Spaces chat with Nick Carter and a bunch of people before we got on this talking about it. I typically shot from the hit on Twitter, threw out some fucking hand grenades, made it clear that what I think of Elon Musk and secret meetings and such. But what I noticed was there there was actually a real split on this. The plebs were obviously, the cyber hornets were like, fuck this, you know, it's some bullshit. But there were some more reasonable uh, voices. Uh, Nick Carter... Uh, wrote a considered couple of tweets about it. I saw Amanda from Galaxy uh, Digital Mining Operation uh, write something considered about it. And I've noticed a number of people say, this isn't such a big issue. Actually, reporting this data is important. Uh, I think having a range of voices is good. Sorry, I'm going on a bit of a ramble to start here. But I think having a range of voices is good, Dan. I think it's good to have the cyber hornets reining people in. And I also think it's good to have the more should we say, liberal voices with regards to this, because it's like the push and pull of politics, right? You find consensus in the middle, but how do you take it on in? What, what was your response to the Mining Council? Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is never short of drama. There's always governance, conversations, uh, decentralization, threats, FUD, that ebb and flow on a weekly basis. Certainly after nine years of it, it's, 
you know, it's, I uh, definitely have a Tiring. few extra gray, gray hairs and I'm, I'm looking forward to Miami. I need a couple of whiskeys. I think we all do. Um, but yeah, I, you know, with uh, Bitcoin mining and, and uh, China FUD. So first and foremost, miners don't control Bitcoin. So I think that's the fundamental point I want to hammer home here. Miners don't control Bitcoin. That fundamentally we do not have to worry about. Miners are the paid guards of the Bitcoin ledger. That's, that's uh, I think, a more simplistic way to think about it, that they're incentivized to behave properly, but they do not control Bitcoin. So I think that is a big concern for folks who are new. They might think that miners control Bitcoin, which is not true. Now, when it well, should, comes we explain, to, should we explain why, though, just so people might not, because they might not understand? Yeah. So miners are paid to structure transactions appropriately or in the right sequence. Um, they're paid and they're incentivized and their payment is in Bitcoin. And they've bought machines and they've put electricity through the machines to earn that block reward, which is their Bitcoin reward. And they're rewarded for behaving properly and ordering transactions in the right sequential manner. And so if miners were to behave improperly, they would damage their future rewards, their future cash flows, because they would hurt the value of Bitcoin. That's the game theory that protects the Bitcoin ledger. And that's the role that miners play in that. Now, who controls Bitcoin? Bitcoin is controlled by the community. It's sort of a standoff between Bitcoin, between Bitcoin, the core developers and the miners, it's sort of a, a standoff with everyone having their pistols out and pointing them at each other. And so miners don't control Bitcoin, but at the same time, like, you know, if developers or other folks tried to push other initiatives, you know, they might create a hard fork, right? So everyone has to sort of agree together to create a shelling point around a certain code base that everyone agrees to run. And that's what Bitcoin really is, is the social consensus around code. Like, we all agree to run this version of Bitcoin, not Bitcoin Cash, this version of Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin. And we all agree to run that code. And the min miners are like, well, we're going to mine on that chain. And it's sort of this, it's sort of this consensus that's uh, made between all these participants and the devs aren't going to push code that might, that the community doesn't want. And that's where, you know, the whole, um, I haven't paid as much attention to this as I should have, but with like taproot activation, there was a lot of like different steps there because it's it's really tricky for anyone to make a change to the Bitcoin protocol because you have these three big parties that play a, a very important part in how um, changes are made and, and promoted. So, you know, that, that's ultimately how Bitcoin works, I would say, is it's sort of this, it's ultimately community-led. Um, if the community abandons the code that core developers push and that miners mine, then there is no Bitcoin, right, if they all abandon that. Um, or if there's a new version that everyone agrees upon. So Bitcoin ultimately is is the code that's that people agree upon is Bitcoin and that social consensus around that. And so any changes to that by miners or core developers that isn't agreed upon by the community would be rejected. So ultimately, Bitcoin is controlled by the community. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um, run a node. I get it. If you're not, if you're listening, run, a, run <laughs> yeah. your fucking node. Uh, even I have one now, so there's no excuse. Okay. But just to add to that, if you were, if you were to do a risk analysis of miners and any threats they present to the Bitcoin network, what would you say, what would be in your list, primary risks? Sure, I mean, the, the quintessential risk with miners is that they could run a 51% attack. If you controlled 51% of the hash rate, you would be able to start to mess around with the ordering of transactions um, if you decided to be malicious. Now, the only parties that would do something like this would be governments. Governments would be willing to burn their future cash flows earned in Bitcoin and reorganize transactions and cause, um, you know, some fear and, and uh, the price to drop 
the only countries that'd be willing to burn that money because you really have to, the, basically the minor game theory works on these miners uh, would only behave inappropriately if they're willing to burn the money. So only state level governments can do that. And it would be the, to the tune of tens of billions of dollars worth of mining equipment. Um, so that's the biggest risk that miners play is that the miners, that a state entity could spend tens of billions of dollars without being noticed to accumulate 51% of the hash rate, then use that for malicious purposes. Um, there could also be a circumstance too, where like a mining pool gets hacked. Uh, there's all sorts of really cool initiatives being worked on, like by, um, I forget, it's Matt from over at, at uh, Square. He's working on uh, Stratum, which I believe is more like a decentralized mining pool. So I think that a decentralized mining pool definitely mitigates some of the concerns around mining pool hacking. Uh, but the primary uh, concern for this uh, primary concern with miners is typically around 51% attacks, the 51% attacks where they could potentially reorganize transactions. But that hasn't happened in Bitcoin yet. And I find that very implausible that it would happen sometime in the near future. So uh, I don't really think that's a, a major concern that game theory has held up so far uh, over Bitcoin's existence since 2009, since the code launched. Okay, let me... Um put another couple of things in there. You talked earlier about forking the network. Um, our experience with S2X is that with, I know we were saved by the UASF, but there is threats, potential risks there if there are disagreements with uh, key consensus changes that they could fork the network, which could disrupt the network for a period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, the... There was a tug and pull during Segwit2x of the community fighting against Jihan Wu and um, was it Bitmain? Yeah, man, I haven't yeah. heard that name in such a long time. Yeah, it, it shows you what happens when you try to fight the cyber hornets. You're gonna you're gonna get burned and you're gonna be kind of pushed out. I mean, Jihan Wu hasn't really made it. He got pushed out of his own company too. Um, mm -hmm. There's essentially a tug and pull where the miners were signaling, "We want this chain," and the community was like, "No, we don't want this." And um, eventually, the community won. So it was the victory of Bitcoin users in the community over centralized, powerful individuals and corporations. Um, those corporations had banded together, creating the New York Agreement. New York Agreement was essentially them and the miners and business. So it was the businesses and miners um, trying to implement a change in the Bitcoin protocol that the community did not want and the community uh, for, uh, won. So it very much validates you know, my previous statement that Bitcoin is owned and run by the community, not businesses, powerful individuals or miners. All right, let me put another one at you. Marathon, I think it's Marathon Mining, OFAC compliant blocks. Yeah, I mean, if you want to have fun staying poor, then then you can do that because if you want to leave revenue on the... And then, you know, what's hilarious about that is that um, <laughs> people found their address and started to send them dirty, tainted tainted coins. I know. I, which I, I thought was hilarious. Bitcoin is brilliant. But but let's yeah, talk I mean, about that. Yeah. So, so if people don't understand... Do you want to explain what Marathon is doing? Yeah, so essentially um, they're mining. So the block reward, what miners receive in compensation for buying their machine and running electricity through it, is they receive uh, newly minted Bitcoins called the subsidy and transaction fees. Now, transaction fees don't re represent a majority of the, of the block reward yet, but in the future they will. And mm -hmm. so what Marathon is doing is they're selectively censoring transactions that they would consider to be illicit or from addresses that are uh, listed by OFAC as um, illicit. Now, the, the funny part here, though, is like it, it's such a ridiculous thing to do because one, you leave money on the table and other miners will go pick that up. So have fun staying poor. Two, 
is it's it's virtue signaling and totally bullshit. Like if if uh, what was evidenced after they mined uh, one of these blocks is that they got people uh, with their address, they people started to send them tainted coins. So there's no way you, you can't stop someone from sending you a payment on the Bitcoin network. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to be if you're trying to have clean Bitcoin, good luck because some guy in the middle of Iraq or Sudan or whatever can send you a dollar of Bitcoin from their address to your address and boom, <laughs> boom, you know, now you're technically like tainted or, you know, if, you know, there's, it's really hard to, um, Bitcoin ultimately, it doesn't matter if they're tainted or not. I mean, the well, they could burn those, Bitcoin. they could burn those UTXOs if they, they wanted. If they, if they wanted to, but I think, I mean, the fact is like, oh, well, <laughs> Like now you've had these coins touch your wallet and there's all sorts of technical aspects to that of like, is that clean? Is that dirty? I think it's kind of silly to, to claim that like, oh, these are clean coins and these are dirty coins. Uh-huh. Okay, so really what you're saying here is that miners essentially play to a perfect free market economic incentive structure. It's extremely likely that that would be the outcome of this. Now, certainly there could be a more dystopian version of this in the in the future where Miners all collectively decide to censor transactions, and then fundamentally, Bitcoin would have some major issues there. Um, but we would also have to depend on them not caring about money, which I find to be improbable, especially considering you can mine a you can you can run a miner behind Tor. So, yeah, you know, being a Bitcoin miner, you don't necessarily have an identity at all. Well, I, also, I guess it depends on jurisdiction as well, and uh, the jurisdictional pressures you would get um, if you're based in the U.S. I mean, I actually don't know too much about. Well, the, the U.S. Hasn't asked, the U.S. didn't ask Marathon to do this, so their buck isn't. Yeah, the Marathon did this uh, on their own accord. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, that's what rather a, disappointing. <laughs> what, what a very disappointing and bootlicker, bootlicking sort of thing to do. I mean, the whole point of this is not to <laughs> that we don't do that sort of thing, you know. So if they want to selectively not make money, then sure, I guess. All right, but, we'll like, get fucked, Marathon. Yeah, fin, FinCEN and, and uh, FinCEN and other regulators didn't ask them to do that. That's interesting. I just made the well. Actually, I, I suppose so if they'd have asked them, they would have asked everyone. Precisely. So really, it's just a massive virtue signal for no economic benefit, and to become the most hated company in mining. It's antithetical to Bitcoin's entire existence. So I find it very unsavory. The reason I bring it up, Dan, is trying to. I'm trying to imagine the worst case scenario with the mining council. And, and that's the kind of adversarial nature that I've learned. Especially now I have all my wealth tied up in Bitcoin. It's, it's important <laughs> for me to think about that. Um, Certainly. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed at the influence of Elon Musk because he's damaging my wealth when he tweets irresponsibly or tweets bullshit. He's damaging my wealth, and not that I expect the market to go up only. I want it to be. I want the market to naturally do what it does. But I certainly don't want the influence of some egotistical loose cannon, you know, fourth richest guy in the world just tweeting bullshit and affecting what I what is my hard earned money. Sure. But I'm trying to. I'm trying to imagine worst case scenario, and it might sound to more reasonable people that I, I'm being unreasonable, but. I'm wondering if it can potentially a mining council can lead to some form of regulatory capture, or just by appeasing a single billionaire. Because essentially, the meeting was held to appease Elon Musk. Okay, Elon Musk has tweeted a bunch of bullshit about uh, 
Bitcoin energy consumption. And because right. of that, and meetings now have been held that he's been invited to, That, which, by the way, I don't understand why he's had an invite to the meeting, because if you think about it, what 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 gives him the the right to be at that table because he because he's Elon Musk? Well, that's not yeah. that's that's not Bitcoin because we're all, all equal because he holds the most amount of Bitcoin. Well, I also think that's bullshit because it's it's not his personal Bitcoin. And then how, how long has he been in? He's only been in Bitcoin for five minutes. You know, someone like you deserve a seat at the table more. You've been there longer, done more for Bitcoin. But sure. anyway, it's to appease him. And then so where, where does this lead to? What if Zuckerberg comes in? What if Jeff Bezos come in? Do we suddenly have this council of Bitcoiners who, you know, billionaire Bitcoiners who sit down and agree, well, here's an issue we need to deal with it. What if pressure comes in from the regulators? Okay, we're going to call a meeting. We're going to have Saylor, Musk, Bezos, uh, Zuckerberg all at a table and say, we're not happy about X. What are you going to do about it? Like, I'm just imagining what is the worst case scenario. And actually, what it made me realize, Dan, is that we actually don't want leading voices in Bitcoin. We don't want people who can drive narrative because then they're people who can be influenced. Rant, rant, yeah, rant. I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's where, you know, I've talked about Bitcoin marketing and personal brands and, and Bitcoin, and we've seen a lot of people like have a kind of negative reaction to that. And I think some of that is seeing these bigger brands like Roger Veer and others be on the wrong side of the debate <clears throat> and try to use their influence to push Bitcoin a certain direction. Um yeah, I certainly think like, you know, Bitcoin has no gods, no leaders, no no kings. So having, you know, semi-leaderless would be the ideal world, but we don't live in that world, right? We had Gavin Andreessen and, and Jeff Jeff Garzik and and Satoshi, and there's eras of different leaders and Eric Voorhees and Andreas and and there's different waves and and of leaders that come in and then eventually abandon Bitcoin or try to attack it. Um I think to be on the right side, I mean, we can still have big leaders and then be good for Bitcoin. I think um, Jameson Lop would be a great example. You know, Jameson, I think, has been on the right side of history. Um, well, actually, think- he he would admit he, at one point he was a big blocker. I can't remember if it was a Bitcoin Classic or QT. He originally thought it was a good idea, realized it was wrong, changed his mind, and yeah, he's back on. Yeah, I think I think in that era, people were still exploring it. So that's of course. That, that would be fine. It's more of like late 17 on when it became like a civil war. You know, if you're on the wrong side of the battlefield there, I think it's you've kind of lost all credibility in the Bitcoin space. Um, I think I think it, it's a credibility that can be recovered if handled if they were, right. If they were humble, sure. If they um, came it, back and said, I'm wrong. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. God, his, mind, his name slipped my mind. The Zappo guy. From Argentina. Oh, uh, Winters. Yeah, he, yeah he, Winters. he recovered. Yeah. Yeah, he totally recovered. He said, I was wrong. He apologized. He understood. Um, but so many seem to have kind of lost the battle and, and refused to come back and say, Yeah, do you know what? I was wrong. It's kind of interesting. And I mean, I think I think some of them still believe they're right. And I think others just don't want to admit they're wrong. Certainly. I mean, I don't know how you you'd have to have it extraordinarily like be extraordinarily um stubborn. To believe that you're still right after all this time, but there's certainly individuals that I'm not going to name, but certainly individuals who refuse to look at reality. Um, you know, and they're free to ignore reality as long as they like, and their investment can continue to go down. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like uh, the someone asked me, like, "Hey, Dan, how do you know you're going to be on the right side of history in the future?" Which is, I thought, was a really interesting question, right? Like, how do you mm. know if there's another hard fork that you're going to be on the right side of it? Like, what if you're on the wrong side? Like some of these guys were, and I actually answered that with a product product management sort of perspective. Mm. The protocol solves a problem, 
at the end of the day, the protocol is solving a problem for humans. And we have to look at what problem it's solving. Now, with Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, we knew that Bitcoin wasn't solving the cheap PayPal problem. It was very self-evident based on how scaling technology would work. And then also, like, <laughs> just, you know, from any sort of basic empathetic customer experience, I mean, you would just know that, like, getting people to go spend it was an incredible challenge of, like, you not only got transaction fees, but exchange fees and volatility fees that were just made it, it wasn't solving a problem. It was people projecting what they wanted it to be, and it wasn't actually being empathetic with their customer. Bitcoin's customer are people trying to store value in a way that's hard to seize and immutable and has a monetary policy that won't be changed. A sound money, right? A gold 2.0. That's Bitcoin's core value prop. So as long as we remember how Bitcoin is solving people's problems, that ultimately, I think, is the guiding light on how we make decisions for where Bitcoin goes. Just like with product decisions, do we build this new feature or not? Is that what the Bitcoin community wants? And will that actually solve a problem? A cheap PayPal is not solving a problem. That was not a problem. That was a made-up problem. Uh, and if you just spent any time with your customers, you would have realized that. And so that's where the, why that narrative failed, and that's why that use case didn't make it, its way into Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's use case was more around storing value. In the future, there's going to be battles based on like privacy. Mm. Uh, there might be some other battles based on like Bitcoin DeFi or something. I don't think that one would be as big, but the privacy one, I think, is probably going to be a future battle. People have um, said that that's the the privacy debate is the next civil war. I've heard that brought up a few yeah. times because the kind of things you could be debating about are on chain, well, on chain privacy. That could become a debate. Um, I do you know. I think the the thing that makes it kind of interesting is if it's going to lead to a hard fought, then there's certainly a dispute. Is price the futures as soon as possible? Yeah. You're talking like price the fork in futures? Yeah, price the fork. Price the fork. I agree. That was a great thing with S2X. As soon as the fork was priced, it fucking, we pretty much, I th- did it go up? Because Bit, Bitfinex did it, didn't it? I can't remember if it went up and then straight down, but but at one point it was like priced temp, like about 10% of the main fork. Right. I think futures is a great way to play it. Like It's like, it, it's basically, yeah, like go bet on, let the market kind of decide. Now, you could have big whales influence that, but ultimately, good luck trying to influence a trillion-dollar market. I mean, that that would take an enormous amount of capital just to signal something, so I, I'm not sure who would mm. risk that. It could be a multi-trillion-dollar market by that point as well, Dan. Exactly. And the thing is, if you consider Bitcoin as gold 2.0, you want to price with the market. Yeah. You don't want to go it's, against the market. Yeah, you could get crushed. So I think, I think voting based, based on skin-in-the-game votes is a pretty good way to vote for these sort of things. So that's kind of like, it's not... It's not like over and done then. It's just a good way to signal. It's all about signaling, right? You know, I think I think the privacy one is a kind of an interesting one to think about as, as, as privacy becomes a bigger and bigger topic. I continually, so I've got a bunch of people coming into my threads, which I'm sure you do too, Monero folks. Monero folks, folks, fungibility. Oh yeah, they're always always trying to peddle their whatever they've got, right? They've um, been quite loud recently. Yeah, so what's interesting, though, is I wrote an article on Bitcoin and privacy in the Held Report, my, my uh, weekly newsletter, where I dig into this, where I'm like, okay, what is your gold standard, all puns intended, for fungibility? I'm like, fiat cash, right? We mm-hmm. would all agree fiat cash is, is pretty damn good with fungibility because it's what drug dealers use in movies. It's what everyone uses, right? Cool, all right. You can move a couple million around pretty easily in cash. It's risky, but it's it's pretty private. Here's the thing. <laughs> okay, go spend it. What's going to happen? 
You walk into the dealership, 10 cameras record you. There's a title on file that you bought this car, you bought this Lambo. You paid for it with cash, which is recorded. Your name's on it, which is recorded. And then you go buy a house with cash, which is recorded. And it's all recorded, all mapped. (laughs) And so, yeah, you've got, sure, you've got like, you've technically got fungibility on your day-to-day coffee transactions. Cool, great, great. You can take your, your, your dirty money and go spend it on a cup of coffee. But as soon as you make these big purchases or you buy a TV online or you buy a TV in person, there's all these cameras at Best Buy that record you. There's receipt data. There's your cell phones tracking all of this as well. How are you going to hide any of that? You know, when, like what? Well, you launder it. <laughs> so what do you do? You create a you create a shell company and, and move money through it. You create a car wash, a cash business. Sure. Okay. So everyone creates their own money laundering scheme. Well, I, so, I, no, I, I get the point you're saying, but, but you know, yeah. there are criminals out there who've learned ways to launder money. It's, um, it's not an impossible sure. task. Oh. Of course, all I'm saying is that like this idea that perfect privacy on chain somehow equals freedom is completely ridiculous. Like because all of that money that you have has to go buy something someday, whether it be rent. Sure, if you just stored value in it and you never sold it ever, great. But everyone's got day-to-day expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So I find that idea that like perfect privacy, it, like this perfectly fungible money will equal this freedom is BS on on the on. If you never bought anything, well, sure. And then the second one is like, okay. Let's say you have perfect privacy. Have you ever looked at how many SDKs are within a mobile app? How many of those are tracking your your movements? If you Google what's the price of Monero or what's the price of Bitcoin, I'm sure that the NSA has flagged that for sure. Like, like if you've made one slip up like that ever, you know, ever once, then they probably got you on a list. So like this idea that like you have this perfectly private money which then shields you from government action, which is the whole worry, right? Is that governments could, if they can see, if they can identify folks on chains, they can penalize them. I think it's a little BSE of like, there's no such thing as perfect privacy. You ultimately have to buy something. All of that's recorded. So I don't think that's very practical. Even perfectly private money on chain wouldn't be a practical way to like hide from the government. Now, Bitcoin has, so first and foremost, that perfectly private money solves a giant problem. I, I push back against that narrative because I just don't see that. Um, also, Bitcoin is still the most used uh, coin on dark markets, which indicates that like Bitcoin is still very much used for those, and people use coin joins, which is a, a implementation that folks can use to go mix their coins with other people. Now, so I think that Bitcoin, with that plus Lightning, has good enough privacy, or all puns intended, pretty good privacy. Um, and then I, I kind of push back on the narrative that Bitcoin needs privacy to ultimately achieve its problem of uh, the problem it's solving of storing value and being a gold 2.0 we it, you know it's just not really practical like well can i can i, I disagree know. with you here sure yeah okay so look i i agree with your point in that you will have to buy something and records be created this i do agree with that at the same time i don't think that's n- not a reason to uh, desire privacy because there are other there are other reasons to have privacy look we this is you know you talked about if you you have a large amount of cash, blah, blah, blah. But let's talk about people in a scenario where they don't, ha- they have just honest money that they've earned. And that could be where, you know, where you are in the world, where I am in the world, that could be in China, that could be in Syria or wherever. There are certain places where they, maybe you want to buy certain things you don't want to be tracked. It's like the fa- the basis of democracy is that if you, the basis of democracy is that you have uh, privacy because you don't want influence over your vote, you don't want any threats to your vote, blah, blah, blah. So I still think it's, uh, it's a, it's a and, and I'll say to people, listen to this, if you go and search up Andreas Antonopoulos, 
privacy. He does a really good presentation on this, talking about the basis of human freedom democracy. I agree with what you're saying, but I also think privacy is still important and it is desired. Because there are oh. certain scenarios, like we're in a blessed position, UK and US. Uh, uh, I, there are people, I think, in other countries who need it more than us. Yeah, so first and foremost, privacy is a human right. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, what happens with, and so in a perfect world, would we have private, like Bitcoin be perfectly private and all these things? Absolutely, I'd love that world, right? It'd be a nice to have. However, it comes with a trade-off, and that's where most of the privacy coin folks mm. don't mention this. But the trade-off comes in auditability, which means that we don't know for certain if the monetary policy has been tampered with due to an exploit, which has occurred on both Monero Zcash and Bitcoin. So yeah, I don't that, I, I personally don't want that trade-off, by the way. Yeah, and, and that's where I find it really dishonest that they don't they don't ever bring that up. They're like, oh, Bitcoin isn't as fungible as it should be. You should just implement privacy. And I'm like, cool. Then we would sacrifice the one thing that makes Bitcoin incredibly trustworthy and valuable which is the auditability and trustworthiness of the monetary policy. I think that you know people don't realize that like, okay, that's the whole point of Bitcoin and the problem that it's solving is it's being a good goal 2.0. We can trust in the monetary policy, we can trust in it. And uh, if you add this layer of privacy, I wish there was a perfect trade-off where we could add full privacy but also be able to audit perfectly. And there are ways to kind of go in between that with like turnstiles and whatnot. But... Basically, the TLDR that I've gotten from all my reading into it is that you have to sacrifice some auditability, and I just don't think that's—it's not solving a big enough problem to trade off the problem it's currently solving for. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about on-chain privacy versus, you know, if I, I if I called up Matt O'Dell and, uh, and Shinobi, and I said, look, between you, help me solve my privacy problem. I mean, I've, if, essentially, I'd have to start with a new stack, and well, there's a bunch of things I'd have to do, but I know it's possible. And I think there are going to be tools that come on the front end that make it easier. Uh, I know there's work being done that's being funded by the Human Rights Foundation. And I also know with things like Liquid and Light, Lightning that there is better levels of privacy that you can get from those. We have, I'm just going to say, completely gone off track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to go back to the question. Yeah, sorry. I want to go back to it because that's, what, that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about. What do you think of the Mining Council? Is it... Fine. Should we not care? Should we be cautious? Should we try and break it down uh, already? Should we, you know, what is the play that we should be doing here? Because I have had spoken to different people. When I speak to Nick Carter, it's a very different conversation that I had with Shinobi yesterday. Shinobi was like, fuck this. This is about Elon Musk pushing for carbon credits and wanting to sell carbon credits to miners. He might be right, he might be wrong. Um, Where are you with this? Yeah, great question. So, you know, first and foremost, I respect a lot of like Nick Carter's thoughts on this. I think he's done a great job of defending Bitcoin's narrative from a pure data-driven perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a little bit cautious of his approach. Like, and again, I really like Nick a lot, so I don't think him and I are like a, a bad disagreement. Hey, listen, if, but, if Nick listens to that, he knows we both love him, and he is exactly. somebody who accepts his different opinions. Nick's fine. Yeah, and I think him and I have talked about this before too. So it's not nothing too different, uh, too different than what him, what him and I have talked about. Um, I don't think we should even debate them on inter- Bitcoin's energy mix. I don't have to defend the energy mix of my of my TV. I don't have to defend my the energy mix of my cell phone or my shirt. And if you admit that Bitcoin isn't like, if you admit that Bitcoin is dirty, or you admit that Bitcoin should be using more green energy, then you're admitting that they're right. And I don't agree that they're right. And I think that. We should push back on the narrative 
that it's even considered wasteful at all or dirty. I, I think that's a completely ridiculous narrative and a double standard that they they have for us. So we have two different ways to fight the FUD, is what I'm trying to say. Is I try to fight the FUD by undermining the argument in its entirety of going, <laughs> this is a completely baseless argument. Um, how much energy does watching the Kardashians use? Have you audited that? Have you audited the existing financial system? You know, by doing that, we atar- we tag we tackle the core root of the argument. Um, and Nick is more factual based on of, of looking at the data and going, well, here's the exact numbers. Let's talk about it. But I think that these debaters aren't really interested in, in real data. They're interested just in their own narrative. And ultimately, they don't like Bitcoin. And in, any energy usage that Bitcoin has, they will consider to be wasteful. So that's where I just like to undermine the core root of the argument, which is that they don't like Bitcoin. They find energy, any, any energy consumption wasteful. And it doesn't matter what the green mix would be. If it was 90%, they would claim it's still wasteful. And it should be 100%. If it's 100%, then they would claim that the energy should be used elsewhere. So that's okay. where I see kind of a, a turtle's conversation, you know, turtles all the way down to where it's ultimately the bottom of this is like, I'm not going to defend, <laughs> I'm going to use energy because you use energy and no one criticizes you when you use it. So I'm going to use it as I see fit. Okay, well, I, I'm almost certain in this private life, uh, Elon Musk's, Elon Musk use far more energy than I do. And we can debate. We can. He's got look, a private plane. He's got two dude, private planes. So dude, I, like, saw you, I saw your troll, man. It killed me. What was it? <laughs> can we have the energy mix of your private plane or something? Exactly. I mean, it, it's just so absurd. Or the energy mix of his Falcon rockets. Like, and by the way, I love SpaceX and I like yeah, Tesla. Yeah, dude, cars. I love it. You know, he's, done, he's built some great things in this world. So I don't want to, and I think that he's learning about how Bitcoin works. But to answer your question more directly, I first and foremost, don't see it as an issue that Bitcoin should be greener. So fundamentally, I don't really agree with the premise of creating like a council for it. What's great about Bitcoin is people can do whatever they want, whether or not they feel that way or not. And so if they want to do that and they, and they want to spend more money sourcing their electricity and not make as much money, they're free to do that. Um, and I respect that. And they're free to do what they want. Um, miners ultimately don't control Bitcoin, so I'm not too concerned um, and I think they represent a pretty small percentage of the, uh, percentage of the hash rate. It's also unlikely that they'll continue to accumulate, given that uh, a percent, like I think Nick's done some analysis and he thinks that the hash rate's not going to move in a linear fashion over the U.S. It's probably going to be spread across the world. So it's doubtful that the U.S. Uh, creates a mining cabal, if you will, or like mm-hmm. a vast majority of the hash rate. So ultimately, it doesn't matter because miners don't control Bitcoin too. Most of the hash rate isn't going to move to the U.S. It's going to move all across the world. And um, three, I find it kind of silly because, you know, ESG stuff, I don't really, I think like certainly there's environmental concerns to be thought through and pollution is not a great thing, but we all require energy to make the world work. Energy consumption by itself is not a bad or good thing. And ultimately capitalism is about allocating energy effectively. Uh, People want to make money in capitalism, which means they make more efficient things which means that those things use less electricity or energy in order to produce a value or service or good for a human. So Bitcoin, I think, does a really phenomenal and very efficient job at doing that. So I reject the idea that Bitcoin should have to defend its own energy consumption when no one else does. Well, I've actually got an interesting show coming out tomorrow with Nick Carter and Alex Gladstein discussing Gladstein's article regarding the petrodollar, which is very oh, cool. interesting because the... Part of the thesis, well, part of the article discusses that the petrodollar has uh, propped up the fossil fuel market um, by having that relationship with Sa- House of Saudi, 
and therefore harm the growth or the growth and the incentive structures around pushing renewables. Look, look, cards on the table. People have followed me on Twitter long enough. No, I am a semi-environmentalist and a hypocritical one in that I care about the environment. I care about overfishing, I care about deforestation, I care about pollution, and I do think we burn too many fossil fuels. I, I am a believer that there is climate change and it is caused by humans. Like People are going to write to me or shout at me on Twitter for that. I, it's, it's the truth. I've done a lot of research. I believe it is. That said, I've become a bit more rational about how we solve this. In you know, Talking to people like you, listening to people like uh, Marty Ben, uh, and I'm not as... Um, I'm not as far down the rabbit hole as Marty Bent with this, but you know, at the same time, I find the way that Bitcoin is targeted for energy usage as um, there's a lot of the arguments coming that are quite hypocritical. Um, like you say, we don't track washing machines, we don't track PlayStations or Christmas trees, blah blah blah. Yeah. We just track Bitcoin. But let me put the a different argument to you, the one that came out of the spaces. So I would say. And it felt like definitely the more liberal-leaning Bitcoin people, the people in the conversation were saying, the thing is, the narrative exists. Whatever we do, the narrative exists. Therefore, forget the fact there's a council. If miners choose to produce a, essentially, which is a sustainability report or an audit that says, this is our energy mix, that can actually counter the FUD, that's really useful because whenever the FUD comes out, you can say, here, here is the proof. So how do you... Look, I've got my opinions on this, but how do you feel about that? So I'm fully supportive of them trying to use that narrative battling to fight this FUD. Um, and that's where Bitcoin has this decentralized marketing team where I've got my narrative on how to fight the FUD and Nick has his and this mining group has theirs. And I applaud any effort to go fight the FUD. So fighting the FUD... I tell fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly one narrative too that could work. Um, I mean, that's Bitcoin's ultimate ultimate uh, message when you try to res- try to push against it is it's like a it's like a glacier. It's just going to crush you, you know. So, um, you know, I think that I don't agree with their method, but I, I applaud them for trying it, and I certainly hope if that is the successful method that kills this fud, then I applaud them for it. Um, so that that's basically my thoughts on it. Is that. I don't think it'll work, but if it does, then that'd be amazing. And I, I respect their efforts to try and we'll see what happens. Next up, I talked to Dan more about the Mining Council. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, let's kick off with BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a range of products for Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. I have personally been a customer for two years and I love my Bitcoin working for me. Also, with a Bitcoin-backed loan, you can also borrow against your Bitcoin without selling. And if you register now for the BlockFi credit card, which is about to launch imminently, you will be able to earn 1.5% rewards back in Bitcoin on your card. If you're interested in finding out more, please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, and I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then right now. And Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin. Interfacing with their Ledger Live software, you can safely manage your Bitcoin. And if you have got an Android phone, 
You can connect your Nano S to that phone and safely manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Okay, and next up we have Gemini, my very new exchange sponsor, who I'm using for buying and selling, but I'm not selling Bitcoin right now. I've not sold any Bitcoin through Gemini. It's just not happening. We're in a bull market. I'm just hodling and I'm buying more. And I have started using the Gemini app, not just for buying dips, but I have a twice monthly DCA setup where I am investing in Bitcoin. They've absolutely crushed the UX. And I do want to say a massive thanks to Tyler and Cameron for supporting the show. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Okay, right. So you've really, so your, your issue is with essentially centralizing around an association of sorts. And we know historically the Bitcoin association was a complete fucking <laughs> turn up. So what's the risk oh, though? That, so, so what do you, or, or if you were them, what would you have done? Because I know what I would have done. I yeah. said it in the space. I said, why not organize a round table, make it public, have it as an open discussion. Don't, don't invite Elon Musk because he's got fuck all to do with the conversation. And bringing some voices who are like someone like yourself, Dan, someone like Nick Carter, someone like Marty Ben, different people around the table to debate it. Because I think consensus would have been reached and it would have been just produce your audits. Tesla does a sustainability audit and they publish it on their website. You can do the same and we can point people to these things. Yeah, I mean, they should have hired a comms person or some PR person to help them craft that, that narrative because they came back and they're like, look, this is just like a reporting thing. We're not like a cabal. Um, so I think that like Bitcoiners inherently have some PTSD from these previous, you know, New York Agreement, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin Foundation. So Bitcoiners are fully justified in feeling that way. So I I think that Bitcoiners and the and the you know they're, they're fully justified in, in being reactionary in the in this sort of reaction. Um, at the same time, too, you want to make sure you don't have a situation where like your white blood cells kill your white blood cells, and they just go into hyperdrive and get all flustered for no reason. Now. I think the response so far has been appropriate to, to be to challenge the idea that there's this group, to challenge the idea that we need a group, and to challenge the core fundamental reason why it exists. I think that Bitcoiners are justified in that. I'm not saying that's my own personal belief. I'm just saying they're they're justified in that, right? Like they're justified to go fight uh, control of indiv- individuals trying to control Bitcoin. They're totally justified in fighting that. Um, I. Uh, you know, I think they probably could have handled it a little bit better. I think that they could have handled the communication a little bit better. And then I think that uh, ultimately, you know, again, Bitcoin is really hard to change. Like yeah. the, the the group of miners discussed this with Shinobi today. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear a tidbit or two. Maybe that'd be a in, in a second here. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think that like they don't control a majority of the hash rate. They're not close to a majority of the hash rate. So if they want to go do that sort of thing, they're they're free to go do it. Um, they're also, I mean, they're free not to earn as much money, right? If they want to source electricity that's more expensive, but it's green. Um, my thing is just that what happens when you do that and Bitcoin's, let's say Bitcoin's 90% green and they still come after us. Like what then? And you spent all this time and effort. That's what I, my know. worry is. Because I yeah. don't think, I don't think this is ever about. It, it's, it's, it, and they'll move the goalposts. I just exactly. think people have an issue with Bitcoin. And I think the root of it, for a lot of them, I'm going to just say it, I think it comes from a jealousy. It and, and the reason I think that, are there are certain journalists, uh, I'm going to call one out specifically, Nathaniel Popper, 
who, by the way, uh, he won't listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But I, his book was the first thing I read. Digital Gold was the first yeah. thing I read. I fucking loved that book. Got me into Bitcoin. I was like, this is amazing. And I've seen him over time turn against Bitcoin and then just become a, a social justice journalist when he started attacking Coinbase, which was totally unnecessary. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, that that uh, means that the Bitcoin is still being used for drugs and money laundering, despite <sighs> all of the data showing otherwise. That he uses... And, yeah, I I just use that as indicative of somebody who just followed something but didn't invest and has become bitter towards it. And I get it. Look, I've seen it happen to a lot of people. People have become yeah. bitter towards Bitcoin because they traded it badly or they uh, they just didn't get in. And 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 I just feel like they're seeing other people get wealthy, and I think they're better. And they keep thinking, oh, it's too expensive. And then it comes down, they don't invest. In it. And I just think people just want to attack it, and they, yep. and they don't know what they're attacking. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a one, there's a with journalists, they don't have a good knowledge of the space. So they're fundamentally like they're quoting sources that are have been debunked. And I think Nick Carter gets really flustered with this. I'm like, oh, welcome to the party, pal. I've been feeling this way since 2013. Like just flagrantly, like, like flagrantly false information. And I'm like, you didn't even read the Wikipedia of Bitcoin back in 2013. I'm like, what the hell? Like they're like, oh, you can print as many as you want. I'm like, no, you can't. This <laughs> has been two minutes reading about it, and you would know that. Um, so it's been really disappointing being in Bitcoin and, and having to just see every publication misreport on Bitcoin, not just in a subjective manner, but objectively, like choosing to flagrantly like misuse information and twist it has been supremely disappointing. Um, and so I think that yeah, some of these folks, some of these journalists will never change. It's not about being. It's not about the truth. It's about their personal narrative and what they want to craft. I mean, it's it's very explicit what they what they care about and what they want. Um, so you've got like the narrative crafting and their stubbornness and their ignorance, but then you also have what gets me clicks. Bitcoin's fine. Everything's doing well. Bitcoin's great. That doesn't get you as many clicks as like Bitcoin's destroying the earth, Bitcoin transactions, money laundering, drugs. You know, it's it's like a CSI show, right? Like, <laughs> you know, they that gets clicks and that drives revenue for the business. And so they'll always introduce some negativity and variability to Bitcoin to where, you know, everyone's like, oh, man, the, oh, there's so much drama going on. Oh, this got, you know, Bitcoin died again. Bitcoin fell down. Bitcoin died. Or miners are taking over Bitcoin. Or all those sort of dramatic uh, things that they could talk about. So I think that, um, I don't think that's going to change. Like that, that's the thing is like so. Okay, we have, let's say we have 100 percent greed energy, right? Mm-hmm. Will they write about the truth? They don't do that now, so why would they do that later? Like they don't write about the truth now in terms of energy mix, in terms of Bitcoin's energy consumption and how it's relative to the rest of the world. They don't write about that truthfully now, so why would they write about it truthfully whenever we do hit 100 percent renewable energy? Well, my worry is isn't just the moving goalposts on. Uh, energy mix. I th- my worry is it just moves to something else. It's like it does it move. Does the debate then move to Bitcoin is used by criminals and terrorists and tax evaders? We need uh, higher levels of KYC. We need these compliant blocks. And these people who sat there with billions of dollars who see that the network uh, reacts and the market reacts to this kind of news. Suddenly, say, "Well, we need the uh, we need the terrorist council. We need the criminal ca- whatever it is." Yeah. <laughs> and they and then start to drive the narrative on that because I th- 
are they protecting billions of dollars? Are they worried about billions of dollars? That's my worry. I don't know if I'm being overpowered. I know a lot of other people think like that, but I, it's, it's really strange, Dan. It's like, I celebrate Sailor. I think he's fucking great, by the way. I'm, I'm guarded, just in case, but I do think he's a, a good speaker of Bitcoin. And if it's, you know, if he's only promoting his own uh, asset value growth, fine, but... But as long as he's a Bitcoin, good Bitcoiner, I care. Sure. I don't give a fuck about Elon Musk. I don't care because I think SpaceX is awesome. I, th- I I like some of the Tesla cars, but I think he would do whatever. The- if growth in Tesla or SpaceX came at the cost of Bitcoin, I think he would do it because he has his personal yeah. goals, whatever that sure. is. So b- b- the point the point I'm trying trying to get to is that these loud voices now make me nervous. Totally. Yeah, Bitcoin, like I said before, Bitcoin has had loud voices before that turned against it. You know, mm. a bunch of different individuals from the 13, 14, 15 era and 1617 were on the big blocker side. So, you know, I think that um, it's natural to feel that way because Bitcoin has inherently been let down by its leaders, right? And then the same with the Bitcoin Foundation. Uh, those core developers like Gavin and, and Jeff, I forget if they were part of the Bitcoin Foundation or not, they turned against Bitcoin as well. So, Bitcoiners intuitively feel that they should be wary of these influencers, and I think they should. Um, you know, at the same time, like they don't; these individuals don't control Bitcoin. They can they can prop up their own narratives. They can try to push Bitcoin a certain direction, but ultimately, at the end of the end of the, end of the day, you know, Sailor is only so influential. Now, with Elon, you know, I, I it, what, what sucks the most about Bitcoin is you have to kill all your heroes once you get into it. I think mm-hmm. that's been the most miserable part of Bitcoin for me. <laughs> is in nine years of this, first of all, like now you now you dislike journalists, you dislike universities because of all the pedigreed folks who spouted mm-hmm. stupid ass shit about blockchain, not Bitcoin, and a bunch of stupid stuff that came from all the top universities. All the journalists misreported on Bitcoin. Then you have politics and government that fundamentally Bitcoin fights against. And then you have uh, the wealthy folks and the the thought leaders, and the thought leaders each weigh in on Bitcoin, and you're like, you're like, damn it, Nassim Taleb, like, so disappointing. (laughs) You know, it's so disappointing. And then you have other folks too, and I'm in Silicon Valley, so these are tech leaders all weigh in, and they hate Bitcoin. They're like, oh, Bitcoin's like a MySpace. I'm like, ah, you know. And so I've had to kill literally every single leader ever. And then Elon, I went to the Falcon Heavy launch, the first Falcon Heavy launch in Florida. So, like, I, I very much believe that human, humanity should be a multiplanetary species. Like, this is our destiny, is amongst the stars, and he's our best shot at it. So, I think that's an incredibly important mission. Bitcoin is, I would say, the number one most important mission, and this would be, like, number two. Um, so, I fully support his mission. I'm a huge fan of, of what he's doing there. And so, it was really disappointing to see him, like, you know, he's either treating it as, like, a joke or he's trolling, like he's trolling, or he's semi-serious to get like to sell his carbon credits. It was just disappointing. Where I'm like, hey man, if we came around and fucked around with SpaceX, like you're fucking around with Bitcoin. Whoa, have really you seen that? Right? Have you seen that interview with him where he's nearly in tears and he's like, "I wish they would come and visit us and see the work we're doing." I've oh no, like, I haven't seen that. It's the 60 minutes interview. It's worth watching. So he he gets quite upset in it. Like you can tell he's upset. It, it looks like his eyes are welling up. He's disappointed because. Essentially, there's an attack on his work, and when yeah. he started attacking Bitcoin, and yeah, I was in El Salvador. Like I, I felt exactly the fucking same. And I'm not building shit. Like my my job is to ask questions. Like I have the most basic job ever, but I'm trying to do my part, right? Like whatever shit people give me, 
I travel the world at my expense and I go and see these projects and I report on them. I went to Guatemala, but I was in El Salvador and I was like, this project, dude, it, you, I'm going to take you to El Salvador and go and see what they're doing. Because when I was there, yeah. it was like, it was like, like 10 kids doing local work getting paid in Bitcoin on Wallet of Satoshi uh, on the Lightning Network, and then like two shops accepted Bitcoin, so it's circulated. Because of COVID, I didn't get to go for 18 months. Now it's this whole fucking network. Like, if you can go on my Twitter. Everywhere you go, they accept Bitcoin. No, actually, they don't just accept Bitcoin. They want your Bitcoin. They're like, can you pay me a Bitcoin? I'm like, I'm not giving you my Bitcoin. I did in the end because I wanted to leave some stats there. And I was buying, yeah. I was buying fucking cups of coffee with Bitcoin, right? <laughs> Hilariously. And you've got this center that's now built whereby they're teaching, they're using it as a class to teach people about Bitcoin, but teach people English. You've got the lifeguards being paid for by Bitcoin. You've got this whole thing that's grown. It's like this seed which has grown about Bitcoin. And I'm thinking, you're there, you've been in Bitcoin for five fucking minutes, and now you're attacking it. You're promoting an absolute yeah. shittiest of shit coins. You want to cry about? I'm like, you fucking come and visit here. You come and see the lives that are being changed here. Like these people in El Salvador, they're poor. They are. They are poor. Okay. We've got Jack Maller's building strike, which is changing remittance, which is stopping people have to get a bus to go to Western Union to pick up the cash that's come from America, which is having a thirty percent haircut because of remittance fees. They can sit on their couch, have it sent to their phone, free and instant. Okay, that's on the Lightning Network. There's this whole network build, being built there that is changing people's lives, and he's fucking around with it. And the, yeah, and the sad thing is... Sorry, Dan, I'm just going to go on a rant. And the, yeah. The, yeah, because I've had a lot of shit for trolling him back. The sad thing is, is that he can turn around and go to the Bitcoiners and say, listen, I want to know, tell me about what you've learned. Every Bitcoiner is going to put up their hand and say, I'll fucking come. And he could have Adam back come out to him, and sit down with him and say, this is what we've gone through in the last 10 years. This is the civil war. This is the debate on block sizes. This is why big blocks lost. This is why the Lightning Network's important. He could have 10 of the top Bitcoiners sat around the table and explain it to him. Rather than do that, he's just spouting shit on Twitter about Dogecoin and uh, big blocks and transaction fees and single layers, and it's all absolute fucking bullshit, and it's affecting the work of other people. It's pissing me off. I'm sorry to rant, but like, <laughs> like just go it, fuck yourself. It's, it's supremely disrespectful. Like, mm. you know, we embraced him with open arms, and all you really had to do was just hodl Bitcoin and, I don't know, not Shut trash it. Shut the fuck it. up. Yeah, not, not trash it. Like, if you asked some inquisitive questions that were, like, good and, and he wanted to learn, great. But instead, he just kind of trashed it with like it felt very trolly, you know, because it was just so ridiculous, um, which I don't really understand. I mean, he actually replied to one of my tweets too. I did. I, I saw about, that. I joked about proof of work wastefulness, where I'm like, it's not wasteful. It was the joke, and he thought that was funny. So, and then two weeks later, then he complains about proof of work being wasteful. I, it's just really bizarre, and I don't even know if there's any. I don't even know if there's going to be any insight into his actions there, or it's just kind of this random. But it's kind of like, hey, man, we're working on something serious here. Just as much as you consider SpaceX to be like a really important thing for humanity, we consider the same thing with money. And money is the underpinning of all of your efforts and everything else. So it'd be respectful if you at least took the time to learn it or at least engaged without being super trolly. You know, it's you've got, I don't know how many millions of followers he has. 50, nearly 50, is it 57 yeah. million just under? He's one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest personalities in the world, right? So. Mm -hmm. It was just very disappointing, and back to my point about killing heroes, Nassim Taleb, him, and others. Just 
it's just really disappointing that you have to slay almost all your heroes when you get into Bitcoin because well I think something else is yeah. I think something else is going on Dan because <sighs> Bitcoin isn't ideal for government right we're quite public about we want to end central banking the cancer of central banking we want to end the money printing system which is propped up government after government his businesses all of them survive on an intravenous drip of government subsidies, which is our fucking money. Let's just be honest. We are paying for his businesses through our fucking money. Let's just be very clear. Elon Musk, you are getting our fucking money to do your businesses. So I think his number one... Like, if if someone turned around to him and said, I imagine said, you could have Bitcoin globally uh, uh, to bring human freedom to the world, or you can achieve your goals with SpaceX and Tesla, I know which one he'll choose. Fine, I'm not, it's not that I'm holding his hands to the fire. It's just like we know where his priorities are, and yet he's been, become so influential in the market. I think there's other people who should be far more influential in the market. You know, Adam Back should be far more sure. influential in the market because sure. his number one goal is Bitcoin. His number one goal is human freedom. Jack Mallers, 27-year-old, killing it at the moment. His number one goal is human freedom. His number one goal is Bitcoin. Yet we're all sat here uh, reacting to the tweets of this fucking moron, and he is affecting the work that everyone's doing. Sorry, I'm really on a rant today. I don't normally do this. It it just pisses me off when you go around the world and you see the work these people are doing. And the worst thing is when people call him out on this shit, you get all these people going, shut up, leave him alone, stop shouting at him, we need Elon, we should work with him. And do you know what these people are? They're not Bitcoiners. They're shitcoiners who own Bitcoin, okay? And there's a massive difference because Bitcoiners would chase Elon out of town and say, look, get the fuck out of here. And we would take the 50% market haircut and then rebuild. Shitcoiners who own Bitcoin care about their dollar value now. Don't get me wrong. Look, I'm honest. I love it when my Bitcoin wealth goes up in, in pound and dollar value. I love it because it increases my purchasing power. But at the same time, if you offer me Elon Musk to fuck off on a 50% haircut, I take it. Sure. Because it's fucking annoying. Sorry, I'm gonna have to do like a. I'm really, really sorry if you're listening. <laughs> maybe, sorry, I'm maybe, swearing. Maybe but... you should just do a single episode of yourself just ranting about it. You know, fuck then, this, fuck Elon, yeah. <laughs> fuck Nassie. Well, just maybe play just... some rock music opener. You know, just get, get into it. Look, I don't. I can do my podcast, Dan, from in my house, and keep my costs down. Um. I go out, I've traveled the world. Every time I go somewhere, pretty much I'm paying for it. I've had a couple of conferences paying my thing. Pays my thing. I'm paying the cost. I'm going here. Not only am I paying the cost, I know the shows I make there don't do very well because people want to hear Willy Woo and Lynn Alden because they care about their personal wealth. But I do it because I care about what we're doing here, what we're building here. It's really, really important. When you go to these countries and you see Bitcoin changing people's lives, it's really important. And then you see this dickhead on Twitter it's going on about Dogecoin, and it's just like the the thing is, the worst thing about it is, I don't even I don't know if he's serious or not. I'm like, yeah, does he I, own Dogecoin? I, I, don't I don't even know, know if he owns Dogecoin. I think he I think it's a joke. Like, I mean, his statements about Dogecoin, he must know are false. Like that that's he must. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, look, Bitcoin is bigger than Elon. Bitcoin is bigger than anyone. So luckily, Elon might have had like a market impact. But what's great. Now the market's been like, okay, he's just jerking us around. We don't really care what Elon has to say about Bitcoin anymore. So Bitcoin grows more anti-fragile with these sort of events where 
these big folks come in and swing swing around and, and try to move Bitcoin's price, well, they're going to lose influence pretty fast and pretty soon the market doesn't care what they have to say. Yeah, and um, they're going to lose potential customers as well because people will be like, well, I'm not going to buy a Tesla. I, a bunch of people canceled their um, Cybertruck orders. Yeah, I mean... In the grand scheme, it doesn't make a difference, but at the same time, it's just interesting. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I just don't understand the strategy. Um, maybe, in, but the thing is, it's either it's either trolling or there's some crazy big strategy here that is we're never going to really see or know about. That's behind closed doors with him and the him and folks in the government, and he's trying to signal to them that he's on board. Mm. I don't know. Who or knows? Slight we'll defense. Never... It might be you know. I've had a podcast. He's trying to get us to Mar, Mars, build tunnels that connect cities, make uh, energy-efficient cars, roll out solar power. Uh, you know, he's got a lot on his hands, and he's the fourth richest guy in the world. Everyone wants to talk to him and hang out with him. Perhaps pressure like that does funny things to you, and maybe that's it. Certainly. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like not only like building these two companies in my last newsletter in the health report, I wrote about this of like that Elon built two companies in one of the most government entrenched industries out there, cars, automobile manufacturing is a hundred year old industry. He couldn't even sell cars directly to consumers. He had to have, he had to fight state regulators because they had put up these regulations, these regulations, right. To um, that you couldn't sell directly to consumers. You had to have a dealership, which basically entrenched incumbent car manufacturers. So, and then he fought, uh, so SpaceX on the on the rocket side, he fought the Air Force. The Air Force gave a no bid ten billion dollar contract to ULA United Launch Alliance, which is Boeing and Lockheed Martin. No bid, <laughs> no bid, and, and so he sued the Air Force and and won that they had to like open up bidding on these contracts. So he had a fight against really intense mm-hmm. government power. Now on the flip side, he gets grants from NASA. And then on with Tesla, he gets grants for energy, you know, green green initiatives. So he's in this weird limbo, mm-hmm. where that's got to be a really weird feeling to be like, "Fuck you, I'm going to fight you," and then also like, "Hey, can I have some money, please?" You know. So he's kind of in this weird limbo. And then like, and everyone told him he was wrong with both. I mean, the amount of fud that Tesla and SpaceX had must have been enormous. I mean, some of the biggest fud, like the fud we get in Bitcoin, is probably equivalent to the fud he got. And SpaceX and Tesla, mm-hmm. which is also weird that he would then trash us without thinking about the second order consequences or how we felt, because he's probably felt that way when people t- remember when Tesla's caught on fire. Mm-hmm. Remember when that was the narrative, mm-hmm. like how BS that was. It's like, well, what are all the other cars driving around with? They're driving around with gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, like, this right. is why you need to watch the sixty minutes interview because he okay. shows a lot of emotion in that. I'll dig it out for you, dude. I'll send it across to you so you can see it. But yeah, yeah look. Uh, it's yeah, it's tough. Really, really split feelings. It just is. It's just frustrating because you work so yeah. hard. And he's got, mm. you know, he's got what is it, fifty million Twitter followers? I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. Like, I've got a quarter million, <clears throat> and things are already getting really crazy. I mean, you and I have talked about this. And maybe this is the right time to bring it up because this might give people some visibility into like Elon's psychology when you take this number and. You know, what is it? Uh, 100 exit, 200 exit. So we get, you and I get a lot of negativity. So, you know, there's a lot of, I would say it's like 60% praise, 40% negativity. Uh, It just depends on the day, depends on the topic, but it's pretty bad. Like I I block 100 people a day. Like, yeah. 
it's. Uh, I it's don't know the numbers. Um, I I block around 100 people a day. Uh, I, I my block rule is very specific. You can criticize the fuck out of me, sure. But if you if you are just abusively insulting, you're blocked. It's just or if you if you're spamming. But. Yeah, spamming is a common one. There's so much spam where people oh, come and try to show a coin in there. Yeah. But I had, on the back of the market dump, I had people blaming me. And it's not like one or two. Hundreds. My yeah, D- they, they all my pile D- in. Uh, my DMs were, get a rope and kill yourself. Uh, why don't you die? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm slitting my wrist. I've lost all my money. It's all your fault. You know, go fuck yourself, you fat cunt. Like, yep. just continual abuse, and it's not fun. And I've been through Elon's replies, and he's getting 50 million times that. Yeah, what's I think the most unfortunate thing that I, I don't like either is that, um, you know, sure, there's, there's people on different, like with different altcoins that don't like me for a good reason because they only mm-hmm. like Bitcoin. Yep. And then there's traditional financial folks who don't like me because I like Bitcoin. But what really sucks is when Bitcoiners don't like you because you don't like a very specific thing that they want, <laughs> or they think they think I'm too commercial or something. They're like, "Oh, Dan's he wears a button-up shirt, and uh, <laughs> you know he's he's not." Uh, you know, I'm like, I believe in all the same values you believe in. Um, I just, you know, feel like being a marketer, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So it, the friendly fire, I think, is probably the the most. Uh, you know, really, the really disappointing part, and I think that's where Elon touched on that that made it really disappointing was that it was friendly fire. You know, like we thought he was on the same side, mm-hmm. and then it was friendly fire. If Elon didn't like Bitcoin and hadn't bought Bitcoin and then came in and fudded it, we'd be like, okay, whatever, we're used to that. But when it's friendly fire, I think that's when it hurts the most because you're like, wait, I thought we were on the same side, and now you're turning your gun on me. Um, so on on my own personal brand, like that definitely sucks when like. A lot of Bitcoiners are super mean and, and will just be super negative for no reason. Uh, really trolly. And I see that with you too, you and mm-hmm. I and others. I find it was really unnecessary. It's like, hey man, we're fighting the same enemy here. That's kind of kind of nuts. And then with Elon, it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, we were, I thought well, we were on the same side of fighting fiat and now you're trolling us. Well, he's got more, re- there's more reason to criticize Dogecoin than Bitcoin. Like, a thousand times more reasons to criticize Dogecoin than Bitcoin. Like, endless reasons. Yeah. But he doesn't it, criticize Dogecoin. He promotes it. And he thinks it's fun. But he's yeah, actually causing problems. Well, this is what I was thinking about, too. What is fun at that level? Like, you've defeated the automobile industry. You've defeated the space industry. Like, two like God industries that were, like, You've married a pop star or you're dating a pop married star. Married a pop star. He's had, like, three wives or whatever. Like, you have infinity Endlessly money. Rich. What do you do? What do you do for fun? Yeah. You know, and it's like make SpaceX happen as part of it, but then also, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he finds this entertaining. Like this is well, a weird form look, of entertainment for him. Dan, I, I'm a bit of a troll, as you know. <laughs> um, uh, I tell you why I went a bit trolly. Uh, it was a reaction to the uh, aggressive insults. I found like when I put an opinion across, and it's wrong sometimes, I get, I get that right, but the aggressive insults were, were a bit much. So I started trolling uh, because I, I felt like trolling is satire. And if you're, if you're insulting satire, you need to get a grip because yeah. comedy makes the world go round. Totally. Um, 
I just found it a lot easier to cope with Twitter. Yeah, just being satirical. Like some of the some of the Americans don't get it because the British satire is very different. That for me was like a like a it was like a Twitter coping mechanism. <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter, Twitter's a rough. I mean, it's like imagine you're in like a loud room and anyone can shout at you, right? And, yeah, and, you know, it's it's it, it gets kind of nuts. Um, especially when you touch a, a controversial topic, people are going to be polarized. I mean, my uh, my tweet that Elon replied to got 30,000, 35,000 likes. Wow. Dude, on the flip side of that, so the day started off really badly. So some of these, and this is probably why Elon saw it, some of these uh, really left-wing radical um, environmentalists got a hold of the tweet and some really big accounts like CNBC producers with a million Twitter followers retweeted it with some nasty comments. Then all of a sudden, like, I mean, we're talking, I've never seen a pylon like this before. 35,000 is the most likes I've ever gotten on a tweet. But the, I think I had thousands and that, like 5,000 replies. I mean, a lot of these were like really, really negative. And it, it was happening so fast, I couldn't even block it. It was happening so fast. Um, and then Elon piles in. <laughs> that was actually like the day started out really poorly. And then Elon came in with a laugh. And I was like, oh, at least I got that. But and this was before he flooded Bitcoin. But um, it, it was insane. I, this was the first mainstream level I've gotten to. Like 35,000 likes is like, that's like a mainstream tweet. Um, it was just really insane to feel the hate and, you know, people yeah. just, just like constantly delete your account. You're a fucking idiot. You know, um, you're a terrible rough, person. Man. And then yeah, they, they would TC Kraken. They'd be like, at Kraken, you should fire this guy. Oh, I've had that shit, you know, so like, Yeah, luckily, why are you sponsoring that guy? Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was intense. Um, Twitter can so be rough, was, man. Yeah. And, and, and if you show any form of it getting to you, if you're like, right. God, it's been rough today. It's like, you're a fucking snowflake. But usually it's from somebody, and this isn't me being uh, arrogant and saying, but I'm just saying it's usually it's from somebody with like 50 followers. And I've said this before, when the internet comes after you, if you've never had that, you don't know what that's like. When you've had yeah. thousands of messages over a week, you're fat, you're a cuck, go kill yourself. I'm sorry, I think even the most badass, toughest person would be like, this sucks. Totally. This fucking it, it, sucks. It's a whole different way to experience Bitcoin and it really, really sucks. Um, I would you say have to, like, You have to find a shield. You have to find a way of dealing with it. Yeah, for me, it's just instant hide and block, which yeah. I have collateral damage. Once a week, someone's like, hey, you blocked me. And I'm like, sorry. It just, if I think it's at all in the realm of like trolley or being insulting, then I'm going to block. Um, mm. You know, I reached out to Andreas Antonopoulos when I first started to grow and audience size. And I know, I've known Andreas since 2013. We worked together at blockchain.com. Do you know why I'm laughing? I, I think I had the same conversation with Andreas. I had it with him <laughs> in Uruguay at the uh, Bitcoin. Tell me, I bet it's the same conversation. Oh, nice. I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with how Andreas thinks about this space, but we mutually agree to disagree, and we have a respectful relationship there. Um, and you know, I, I talked to him about my mental struggles, like dealing with the amount of negativity, and you know, he helped kind of me help me think through it. You know, part of it was like he's like, look, you know, back in the tribal world you would be amongst your tribe. And if your tribe was shouting at you, don't do this. If you did that and then you got you know kicked out of the tribe, you'd be in a really bad spot. But we're not in a tribe anymore. We're in the world, and but anyone can come yell at us. So when we get when we receive that information, we're like, oh, this is a bad thing. If I don't correct this, or like, oh, I could be kicked out of the tribe. And that's why you have this pit of pit of doubt in your stomach of like, oh man, this doesn't feel good. Um, and uh, you know, that plus like he's like, look, with any great effort. You know, you're going to have negativity. 
with anyone who's ever done anything great, there's been a mountain of negativity, right? I mean, anything in life, any any fighter, any invention, any any book writer, anything comes with negativity, and it's just part of the game. It's uh, just part of what, what comes with it. It's not a personal thing. People are just people. You know, you just have to like let it pass through you, not into you. Um, and I also, you know, I, I've had two other folks in the crypto space reach out. Like I reached out to them because I saw some of them struggling and, and posting tweets that showed me that they were having the same issues that I had, and I tried to you know pass the uh, the ball forward or what is it called, pass the buck forward or whatever, where. I tried to help boost them in a time of need because it was they were getting piled on, and it's just it's a it's a lot to take in. You know, I mean, look, I, I won state in high school football, and I played five like seven years of high school football, or seven sorry, uh, was it three years of middle school and four years of um, four years of high school? It was extremely grueling to win state in Texas. Like the amount of verbal and physical things that they bring you through is is excruciating. We had guys go into the army afterwards in the, in the Navy, and they said that basic training was easier than our football offseason and our training because we would go play for three hours and exercise for three hours in 110 degree heat, you know, in Texas with with no shade. Like, and the amount of you know you're hitting really strong dudes like incessantly over and over and over again, and you're suffering a lot of like verbal and mental abuse by the coaches. Like, this was not a a walk in the park. You know, I would consider like this is equivalently. Like I would say, equivalently rough, um, and that was I would consider, uh, I think, a rewarding experience. It taught me mm. a lot, but also a very grueling one. I feel like a hypocrite now because I am. I guess if I'm posting an image to Elon Musk and don't be a dick, I'm being a hypocrite, which is one of those things where you know, uh, I think sometimes you have to self-reflect. You have to go, okay, if I'm complaining, do I do it myself? Therefore, am I being a hypocrite? Therefore. It's like that. Um, have you ever read that book, The Four Agreements? I think you sent that to me because I was. I think I was. Yeah. We were talking about it. Um, where it's you, really it, good. It kinda, yeah, it mentally helps you kind of think through these things. Well, one of the things is be impeccable with your word, um, and I'm pretty good at that. Apart from when I'm on Twitter, I'm a dick on Twitter. Um, I'm not impeccable with my word, and perhaps that's something I need to think about. It's funny that we started with the mining council and this has become like a counseling session. It's like therapy. <laughs> therapy with well, Dan. I think it's interesting for some folks because they probably don't think through what it's like to be at this sort of level. Like it's a little peek yeah. behind the curtain, if you will, of like, it feels douchey to even say it that way. But you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know, I know large, what you mean. Yeah, large following and... Um, you know, I, I think you you like to touch the the electric rod. <laughs> I think more than most people, which uh, you know, you, I'm a you really like to lean in. Yeah, so you receive, I think, a level of negativity I don't even see. Um, so I I respect that a lot. Well, that's because I've managed to piss off Bitcoiners and shitcoiners at the same time, so I get it both directions. <laughs> you and Udi, I uh, yeah. have you you've had Udi on the show, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Well, it's it's tro- if if you if, the thing is if you choose to be a troll, I think trolling is satire, and I think done in the right way is good. Like yeah, when I think I'm Naraj, uh, Eric yeah. Wall, Naraj, Udi, you, you guys do it, and I think a tasteful and funny way. Yeah, but the different ways. Naraj, Naraj does it in a way that's very hard to dislike. He's such a nice person. Whereas I know mine, I'm a bit <laughs> of a dick. Yeah, uh, but I think I, I think it's satire sometimes, and that's fine. But I also I also know it sometimes. I definitely get it wrong. I, I mean, I say to my audio engineer and uh, my producer Ben, I'm like, you got to watch this. Because I don't know if I'm going too far, and you have to tell me because I, I, I don't I don't want to go too far. 
So I get them to like just keep an eye on me. I know what's going to happen. People are going to listen to this interview and go, oh, I love the first hour. Then you got to, and you started fucking talking about <laughs> you yourself, you dick. <laughs> yeah, it's all about it's all about you in the end. <laughs> listen, well, look, we could yeah. go on. Go on. Sorry, yeah, I interrupted yeah. you. No, I, I think that I think that's a good point to kind of wrap up on. If you know, I think yeah. that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think part of this was about big, Elon's psychology, right? So, what is what is Elon feeling when Bitcoiners pile in? Is Elon trolling? Maybe this is a level of fun that he finds. Yeah. So I don't think we're going to know, and we may not know forever, but we, we may know in the future. But I think the, the part of this exercise was us dissecting how Elon thinks, and I think us our own subjective experiences weighed in on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of reflection time anyway. Listen, Dan, you know I love you, bro. Um, can't wait to see you uh, next week. It's been a long time, man. We used to get Forever. to drink all the time. I say this end of each show, but like we're getting closer. We're going to go and have some whiskeys, yeah. talk about Bitcoin, talk about some other shit, talk about life, talk about maybe both of us ended up in Austin somehow. Um, <laughs> I hope so, man. It's uh, Dude, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I think uh, it's been way too long. I think Bitcoin community in person is critical. I yeah. think people have gotten really kind of Kind of, you know, tired and a little bit, a little bit aggressive without being able to meet each other in person and having a beer and shaking their hands and everything else. So, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. Me too, man. Listen, tell people where to find your stuff to sign up to your newsletter and all that stuff. I will stick it in the show notes, but let them know. Yeah, if you're on Twitter, follow me at Dan Held. If you want, if you like this conversation, <laughs> minus the uh, the mental uh, walk through how we both feel about. Followers online. All therapy. Our therapy session. If you like my thoughts on Bitcoin, my longer form content is on The Held Report. And so if you Google that, if you sign up for the paid subscription, you get the you get my thoughts once a week. If you have the, you're on the free one, you get it once a month. So uh, yeah, if you really love my thoughts, you want to go in further, you want to hear me talk long form about these, and I write about a different topic every single week, sign up there. Awesome, man. All right, brother, I will see you very soon. Can't wait to have a whiskey with you, man. Take care, brother, and uh, I will see you in Miami. See you in a couple days. Cheers. Okay, what did you think of that? Did you enjoy that? Is it good to have Dan back? What about my rant? Was that okay? I'm really sorry. You know, when it was happening, I just had to get some stuff off my chest. And look, it is what it is. I let my thoughts be known. Not everyone agrees with me. There's a whole spectrum of responses to this. Some people supportive, some people against it. And I get that. And Look, I might have been against it, but I understand why some people are trying to change the narrative, trying to protect the narrative of energy fund because, you know, there's been a lot of this going on. But listen, you've got any questions about the interview, you can reach out to me. You know what my email address is. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. You can jump into my Telegram group, tag me in there. And I will get back to you. And listen, if you want to support the show, it's very easy. Just head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. And I hope you think the show deserves five stars. Outside of that, have a wicked weekend. I love you all and I will see you all next week.